it's that time of year, it's Christmas, and so all the Christmas movies are going, and you're thinking about, have you watched your favorite Christmas movie yet? Like, I don't know how far you make it into the season. I haven't got to watch mine yet, but I'm excited. So here's what I want to do. I want you to shout out whatever your favorite Christmas movie is. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to, like, shout out what it is. Let's see kind of what the poll of the room favorite Christmas movie. You ready? All right, one, two, three. Let me hear it. I knew there was going to be a Die Hard in here. In the first service, I said, don't you dare say Die Hard. I didn't do it, and we got it. Yeah, there's something here. <clears throat> Mine is Home Alone. I love Home Alone. For those of you that shouted out Home Alone, that's my posse, my Christmas posse. And um, it's every parent's worst nightmare, Home Alone, right? Like to get halfway around the world on a plane to Paris. Actually, that sounds like a dream. Um, <laughs> But uh, then realize your kids at home. That's the nightmare part. Realize that yeah, you've left one of your children at home. It's every kid's dream, though, right? To get left at home and just have all these shenanigans going on, have parties by yourself and stay up and eat junk food and watch movies. And uh, that's what Kevin McAllister does. And uh, that was, I remember this scene in which um, the mom, Miss McAllister, is, is trying to wrestle with this. Like, this is not the way Christmas is supposed to be. Like, Christmas isn't supposed to turn out like this. Christmas is supposed to be perfect. Like, we've always got this ideal kind of, you know, storybook of how Christmas is supposed to go. go. It doesn't always go like that. I don't know if you've ever had one of these Christmases in your family where um, everybody just fights the whole time. You may have ever had one of those. Yeah, we've had those. Uh, you ever had one of those where everybody gets sick with the flu? Yeah, right. Not ideal. Like things did not go the way we mapped it out, the way we planned it in our head. We've had all of those. And I think we do this with all of our life, though. I think that we, we're always looking for ideal conditions ideal circumstances, but the reality is that we live in a broken, in a fallen world, and, and, but God, and God's not limited by our imperfect circumstances to accomplish His perfect will in our life. That's the main idea I want to communicate to us today, because even though we live in a fallen world, God came down into this fallen world and took the form of a man to accomplish His perfect will in bringing a right relationship of us back to, to him. And so we don't have to look far in the scriptures to realize that God is not limited by our imperfect circumstances. I mean, think of Moses. Moses was put, I mean, there was a fear that, that actually all, it was a command that was gone out that all of the firstborn boys, all the firstborn boys would be killed. And so his mom like prayerfully threw him in a basket and sent him down the river. Like, so, but this is the person that God had destined, that God had called to raise up, to raise up in the house of Pharaoh to go on and to lead Israel out of 400 years of slavery. That wasn't an ideal start. We can think to the prophet Gideon. If you, any of you remember the Gideon, uh, uh, the story we have in, in the scriptures and judges, and, and Gideon is, is, is charged to go and defeat the Midianite army who are coming against God's people, Israel. And, and uh, at one point, I mean, there's like 100,000 or something of the Midianites. There's a lot of them, um, tens of thousands. And, and Gideon's army, God keeps cutting them down till there's just 300 men left to fight nearly 100,000 men. Not in ideal circumstances 
for victory, for God to accomplish his perfect will. But we see this throughout the scriptures. God is not limited by our imperfect circumstances to accomplish his perfect will in our life. We even see this in the garden in Adam and Eve, that, that God is not limited by our brokenness. And when we fall Sure, but God was still, he could still fulfill his plan in, in bringing us uh, back to, to him. And so I want to talk about this. I want to go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 uh, through 25. Last week, we looked at a, um, a less likely location to start our Advent season when we looked at Revelation 4. And this week, I want to go to one of the most common places. And I pray as we look at this, that God would give us a new lens to understand what God wants to do. Uh, in our lives today. So let's read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged or betrothed to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, before they had relationships, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. That's different, right? We've never seen that before, nor will again, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so after he considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name of Jesus. God is not limited by our imperfect circumstances to accomplish his perfect will in our lives. I want to deal with some excuses we make in our life, some phrases I've heard you say, some phrases I've said in my own life from time to time. Of, of why God can't accomplish his perfect will in my life. God can't do what God's called me to do. Well, the, the, the first one that I want to talk about, and we definitely see all these right here in the scripture, is I'm nothing special. There's nothing special about me. I think across the room, if I said, how many of you think you're really something special? I doubt many of us would raise our hand. <laughs> yeah, I'm really something special. But you are. You're something special. But I want to talk about what makes us special and what really made Mary so special because the reality is she was pretty ordinary. Like she was just an ordinary, what I would guess about a 14-year-old girl. That's kind of my guess based on my studies. She was about 14 years old, very young. And she was just an ordinary girl from a, an ordinary small town, a little bit kind of middle of nowhere, just a small town. But there was a promise over her life, and, and God had called her into something far bigger than herself. I mean, she was just probably, she was engaged, she was just dreaming about getting married, and, and just kind of setting up house in like whatever room his family had set aside for them to live in, like multiple generations. Like that's not a new thing, that's actually a really old thing for multiple generations to be living together. For any of you that have that going on in your house, that's actually what was going on at this time too. And, 
And so when we think of like uh, who, if, if it was you to choose, like who would you choose to um, let your son, the son of God, like Jesus to be born through, who would you go and choose? Maybe in your life right now, like what, what kind of parameters, what kind of prototype would you be looking for to choose? Because this is what God did. He chose Mary. And he didn't choose someone with a ton of wealth, with, you know, well notoriety so she could, you know, or so Jesus could rise to fame and acclaim. Jesus chose the most ordinary of the ordinary from the most ordinary place, a nobody from nowhere, so to speak. That's what God chose. Um, And what made Mary special was not anything within herself. And many times when we talk about accomplishing what God's called us to accomplish, we think, I'm nothing special. Like, God can't do that. It's not, not me. God couldn't do that through me. But all throughout the scriptures, we see God choosing the humble things, the ordinary things to show the greatness uh, of his glory and his power. Um, uh, one of my, like my favorite athletes are those who accomplish great things but don't have prototypical size. Well, my favorite team is playing the New Orleans Saints today. And this New Orleans Saints quarterback is Drew Brees. And I love Drew Brees, not because he's just a faithful Christian man, a man of high integrity that makes a huge impact on the city of New Orleans. Like I was hanging out with a buddy this weekend who lives in New Orleans. And he said they literally uh, think, they actually have those little candles, those little Catholic candles with Drew Brees instead of Jesus. Like they literally revere Drew Brees in the city of New Orleans. But the amazing thing about Drew Brees is he's not prototypical size. He's six foot in an average, uh, in a league where the average quarterback stands at six foot four. He's not even close to prototypical size. Every single team passed over Drew Brees. Every single team. He was selected first in the second round. So every team had a chance to get him, and they didn't. Drew Brees, from his non-prototypical size, has gone on to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. We've been able to witness so many of the greatest quarterbacks of all time for those NFL fans out there. But Drew Brees is one of those. He holds, uh, he's won a Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl MVP. He uh, leads in, uh, I think, career passing yards or a second in career passing yards. And I think he just passed Peyton Manning's record for, for yards or touchdowns. He, he leads, uh, you know, um, the record in uh, completions and completion percentage. This guy who everybody passed over, uh, has, who's not prototypical size, has gone on to be this something really extraordinary here in our day and time. And I just begin to think about this. What, what is God looking for? What's the prototype that God's looking for in us? Like, you know, to accomplish his perfect will. We just looked and it said, well, it's probably not something, if he chose Mary, it's not something really on the outside. It's Maybe it's a posture of our heart. Uh, Matthew um, uh, 11, I believe it's Matthew 11, Matthew 23, excuse me. Matthew 23, 12 says, for those who exalt themselves uh, will be humbled, but and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's plan. If God is going to uh, prototype, he's looking for someone that's humble. He's looking for someone that's humble in heart and even as ordinary as you might find yourself. He's looking at the posture of your heart, not on what people look at on the outside or what we even might think, think about. What made Mary special didn't have anything to do with what was on the outside, anything that people would look at. It was that God 
chose her. That is what made her extraordinary because she was chosen. And if you say, well, well I, you know, God could use me. I'm actually, I'm, maybe I'm not humble right now. I'm actually just a little bit insecure like Moses was when he had all the excuses for why God couldn't accomplish his perfect will in his life. He had all these excuses. He was insecure. And, and God will bring you to a place of humility in which you realize it's not about your strength at all. It's, it, it doesn't matter if you're insecure, if you don't feel like you've got a lot to give. It's finding confidence in the strength of God. If you come and say, no, no I don't deal with insecurity, but I do, you know, at times deal with some pride and some arrogance to think I've got it all together. Like, like Peter did, excuse me, like Paul did, Peter too at times, but, but like Paul did, and he would come in this place of, of arrogance if he knows the law. Nobody knows the law better than he does. He was a zealot for the law, but God would humble him and blind his eyes so that he could get his heart to a place where he could accomplish his perfect will in his life. But how many times do we say the same thing? I'm nothing special. God can't use me. We make all these excuses. And I love what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. What made Mary extraordinary? Because she was chosen. And what will make you extraordinary is because in him you were were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, not your will, his will. And I think we've got to posture ourselves in a place of humility and a place of honor and fear of the Lord that says, God, I actually want your will for my life, not mine. Jesus himself postured himself in that way in the garden. He said, not my will be done, but yours be done. But many times uh, we just end up uh, making excuses. I'm not smart enough. We say these phrases, I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I didn't have the right upbringing. I'm not ready. I've messed up too much. And what we do with these excuses is we, we limit God. And, and we say, God couldn't use me. Well, he used a 14-year-old ordinary girl. He used an army of 300 to defeat tens of thousands. If, if we look through the scriptures, God never chooses what people would look. David, the King David, he was not who everyone else would choose. He was the runt of the bunch, but God always chooses what. But I think in our life, we're always, we, we see ourselves as very ordinary, but we want to be extraordinary. And so we spend our life looking for the little extra. Will the little extra be in my next career move? Will the little extra be in the network that I build? Will it be in the savings that I put aside? Will it be in this next education I go to? Where's the little extra going to come from? But the little extra doesn't come from any of those places. The extra that allows us to do extraordinary things for God's renown is his presence and his choosing of us. It's true of Mary, and it's true for you today. And so if you've ever said, I'm nothing special, God can't do that through me, I'm just gonna hold back. If you've ever made excuses, know that when you're making excuses, you're lowering your expectations for your own life and what God can and do, and you're limiting God's ability to perfect his perfect plan in your life. And, and that doesn't mean that if you, if you don't walk in obedience in that, and if you don't just begin to, to, to see God differently that he can do it, that doesn't mean his mercy's gone. 
That doesn't mean he's not gonna, he's gonna stop loving you. His grace won't be present, but you're gonna miss out on his perfect will. Things that you can't dream up on your very best day for your life. You're gonna miss out on favor, the favor of God. Like what a joy to be chosen, to be chosen. I mean, you, you ever sat around and, and maybe think back to um, uh, kickball and your kid? I don't know if you were chosen last or chosen first. But everybody wants to be chosen. And in the same way, just know that he chooses you. He didn't choose you last. He chose you. He chose you from before the foundations of the world. So I think today we need to come to the Lord and we need to repent. We need to repent of, of, of thinking less of God, that God is limited and he couldn't use an ordinary person like us. We need to confess that of our mouth that, that we believe today. I trust that God will give me the grace. I trust that God can and will use me to carry out his good and pleasing and perfect will. Make it a confession of your heart today that maybe I've thought this way. Maybe I've made excuses for this, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to walk in faith and know that God can do extraordinary things to me. And it's not because of me. I posture myself in that place of humility, but it's because he's chosen me and because he is with me. Uh, the second place I think that we find ourselves with making these excuses and limiting God is through this phrase, well, it's just bad timing. You ever said that? You ever heard that said? And sometimes it is bad timing. God's given us reason. But what I want to drill down to today is that God's timing is not ours. And sometimes it's sooner than what you think, and sometimes it's later than what you think but we can live in a place of peace and trust that his timing is perfect and that he'll carry us through. I mean, if you think of Mary and Joseph, you ever thought about this? Why would God allow her to conceive before they were married? Like, why wouldn't God just allow that to happen afterwards? He, could, he chose. She conceived of the Holy Spirit. God chose to do it in a way that appears to be bad timing. Like God chose. I mean, in Saudi Arabia right now, if you have sex before marriage, it's like a punishable capital offense that you can be put to death in Saudi Arabia right now. Like that's the reality. So think about it. 2,000 years ago, what the consequences were in the Middle East, it was that part of the culture. And so for God to deliberately make a choice which confounds what we would think about timing. And I've found that God constantly surprises us and that our timing is not his timing. Uh, Joseph and Mary were betrothed, which is a pledged. It's like a, a, a deeper contractual agreement than like 21st century engagement. Like engagements happen and sometimes get broken off in our culture. But at this time, there was actually something called the bride price. And I want to slow down and kind of tap the brakes for a little bit, because when you start hearing a price for a woman, what do you think? Using the purchase, it was slavery. And in this time, slavery and uh, this, this uh, cultural kind of tradition of uh, bringing a bride price or a bride gift to uh, the father-in-law of the, the young lady that you like to marry as a man um, it was very different. It was viewed very different. Like it, women weren't, weren't slaves. Um, uh, but even though you hear hints and you kind of begin to see that, but look at Song of Solomon, there was still a romantic element 
in ancient Mesopotamia. Like there was still very much a romanticism, but by and large, there was this, this culture of this contract, and contracts happened in public. That's where, where they took place. And, and so he's, he's trying to deal with this, uh, this, raw, this bad timing that this is taking place. I mean, my, my grandmother, um, she got pregnant with my dad when she was 14 years old. And, and they moved off um, to uh, Air Force Base in Oklahoma. My dad was, uh, was born out there. My, my grandparents would come to know the Lord. They would raise four children. And, uh, and all of them have uh, lived passionate lives serving uh, the Lord in ministry, and, and all their, the vast majority of their grandchildren served the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't good timing for that to take place, but God still works things together for his good. I, I know in our own life, when we moved to Jacksonville in 2012, I mean, it wasn't ideal timing or perfect circumstances for us to move to a city. In fact, we actually thought we were going to launch uh, four months before we actually did, and we launched four months Later, our timing didn't work out, but God had better plans. It wasn't ideal timing for us to move to a city in which we know no one, to start a church, to release an album, to have a kid, to buy a house, all in the same year. It was just a lot. It was a lot, but, but we saw God's grace in it because it was his timing. It was timing. But when we rely on our old timing, when we own timing, we try to do it ourselves. We miss out on God showing up, and, and, and not just what he wants to accomplish, but we miss out on relationship with, with the one who is able to accomplish anything because we're doing it ourselves, and we're not doing it in union uh, with the Lord. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. And not wanting to, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You ever thought you're waiting on God? And really, he, he's waiting on us. So many times, like, I feel like, God, I wish you'd just show up with that. And he's actually just refining something in my heart in the waiting. And, and, and even times where I think it's too soon, God, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to make this leap. I'm not ready to do this. No, no, he's just trying to refine. So when I get ready... I'll make it about me. But both before and after, it remains about him. If I've learned anything about the timing of God, mine is never right. <laughs> God's time is usually early or later than what I think it's going to be. So just settle in to yourself that, that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. And so step into the next step and be faithful in the present moment. What is God asking us to do now? He's calling us to step into this moment that he's given us to be faithful in the present. Uh, recently, uh, for many of you know that Taryn and I, uh, we, we build furniture and we have for, for several years. And at one point we were building a lot and, um, you know, we'd build 20 of them in a month. And I don't know how we were doing that, but we were, and we had a, a couple people who were helping us um, uh, with the business. And, and we just, about a, a year and a half ago, we really dialed it back and just said, look, we can't do anymore. Like, we're done. If anybody wants something, like, we'll do it for friends uh, occasionally. And, and it's nice to do a few of them throughout the year. We enjoy it. But we just don't have time raising kids and, and, and leading the church. And, and uh, this recent year, as we're kind of coming up on uh, Christmas, we're like, man, it'd be a really good timing 
for, for God to, to show up, and there'd just be one that popped out of the blue, and, and sure enough, there was a family who reached out to us, and they wanted a console table. It was a, a really cool uh, console table I like to build, like under the TV, and uh, there's a certain amount of profit margin with that with that table. And so we're like, man, that'll be great. That'll be great Christmas money. I'm really excited about that. And Tara and I even said to ourselves, God just provides. He just, he's always looking out. And, and we've just grown so much in this way, just to trust him uh, in our finances, just very deeply. It's one thing to say you trust him. It's another thing to actually emotionally know I'm actually trusting the Lord, so I'm not stressing about it. It's like, no, I'm trusting the Lord, but I'm freaking out about it 24-7, right? That's a di- difference. And so we just said, we, you know, we, we, we uh, you know, God's just always, his timing's perfect. And uh, we just thought it was perfect timing. Right before Christmas, we'd get it done, have the Christmas money. And uh, about a week later, the family came back to us, and they said, well, it's just bad timing right here at Christmas. Um, we're actually going to use another table in our house for right now. We may reach out at some point. We're like, okay, cool. We didn't stress about it. Like, we literally, we didn't even make a comment, either one of us. And so we were just like, God's going to provide. He provided that opportunity, and he's, he's probably got something better. Sure enough, within just a few days, we get uh, reached out to another family that it's a different table with a lot, much larger profit margin uh, for us. And it was just like, God, God's good. Like, when I trust in his timing, like, he's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. And it just, it just allows me to be at rest and walking in his plan, not trying to manipulate his plan for our life. Not try, and it's just trust. It's just trust that he is going to provide and he wants us to walk in, in peace. But I think some of us in the room, we need to confess today. We need to repent to the Lord. God, I'm sorry today for trying to do this on my own, for thinking that my timing is better than yours, for shaking my fist and being like, what are you waiting on? For being angry at God, I want to confess and repent. And he can handle that. He can, he can handle that, us being angry at him. But the reality is there's something that needs to shift in our hearts in which we make this confession of faith that says, I, I trust that God's time is better than mine. And we begin to live differently. We begin to, to release the stress and anxiety of it. And we're just willing to be obedient in the present time. So I, I encourage you to make that confession of faith today that his timing is better than our own. The third excuse that, that I think that often we find ourselves um, saying is, what will everyone else think? What will everyone else think? Obviously, culturally, it's important to know about betrothal because um, and divorce in this in first century culture here because those things are at play. They were engaged. There was a contract. And basically what that would look like is the young man would bring, what, like I referenced, a bride price or a bride gift. He would bring it to the father-in-law. Let's make it up. Let's say 20 acres of land and a goat. Like, let's just say that's the, Joseph's bride price. So he would bring that to the father. It was kind of a down payment, a deposit that says, I'm serious about, serious about this. Any men in the room that have ever sit, had to sit across a young man who's interested in marrying your daughter or guys in the room that have ever sat across a gentleman in which you're interested in marrying his daughter? What have you been trying to convince? Or fathers, like, what have you needed to see? You wanted to know this guy was serious. He was serious about it. He was, he was convinced and he was going to take care of her. And so it's, it's putting a, a down payment, like, I'm serious about this. Like, I'm not going to break it. I'm not going to go find another girl tomorrow. This is a lifelong commitment, and I'm willing to, to give you this gift to be a part of your family. Because the husband would go, or they'd, or they'd go, and they'd move in, in one of the family's houses, usually the husband, but sometimes the wife. Uh, they, they would go and move, and like, I'm going to take care of her. Uh, but if there was a case of, of divorce like, like this, then the... the um, 
the groom, so to speak, uh, the engaged young man would, would actually forfeit his deposit. Like you decide you want to go to another apartment, you lose your deposit, he would lose that. But if the father-in-law decided that he was going to change, like, no, 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 you're, you're actually not, I don't, I don't want you to marry, he'd have to pay double that. So it was a deep contract, a deep bond here that we're serious about bringing our families together and we're not going to change our mind. We're in this. And, um, you know, right now, and, and, but then there's this element of, of divorce going on in this time. And, and what is Joseph considering? He's considering how to put her away, how to divorce her quietly. You say, well, they were just engaged. Why is it called divorce? Well, like I said, it was a much, like, it was like already done, so to speak. It was just a, a time of waiting until they would have to make the, the marriage feast celebrations. It, it wouldn't be a two-year engagement like uh, sometimes uh, we have today. It would be a quick thing just to prepare the meals and get everybody together, put it on the calendar, so to speak, and, and, uh, and come together. But in this time, divorce was, I mean, in our culture, there's a, there's a stigma o- over divorce, but I don't think anybody in our culture really views it as like, it's a great disgrace. I think maybe in times past there, there might be some of that, but you know, by and large, there wasn't that. But in this time, contracts were happening in, in public, and so everybody in this small town would know what's going on, particularly that she was pregnant. And if Joseph put her aside, the consequences for being found, um, they, they considered having adultery, having sex before marriage, like the consequences were extreme. If you've been around for Christmas's past, when I've talked about this, they were extreme, and, and they would actually, as a society, it wasn't like, okay, they were found, you know, she was found pregnant, so let's bring her before the judge, let's hash it out, and the judge will make a determination. No, 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 that's not how it worked around here. The society did it. They would actually, as a society, they would come and they would bring her out, and many times the consequences, like I said, in Saudi Arabia right now, it's still death penalty, or could be. They would take this woman and they would throw her in the river to drown. And sometimes the man too. If they didn't do that, they would actually impale them on poles. Like that's intense, you know, something for Joseph to process of what will everyone else think? How, what's the public perception? And when we say in our culture uh, that you're innocent until proven guilty, but let's be real in 2018, that's not true. You are guilty until proven innocent in 2018. Our, our culture is so, um, it, it so embodies this, this deal of what will everyone else think of, of public perception and pressure. But the reality is we do too in our own life. Some of you, every conversation you have, you're, you're just worried about what are they going to think. You haven't been honest in years because you're so worried about what everyone else will think. You haven't spoken your true feelings. Uh, you, you haven't spoken honestly from your heart in years because you're always concerned on what everyone else will think. And God wants to set you free from that because he can do more than what we can think or imagine if we'll posture ourselves in a place of humility regardless of what everybody else thinks. It says, God, I'm going to be faithful regardless of what it costs me. So it's a lot to sort through here with Joseph, but there's some powerful understanding. Again, he's considering divorcing her and, and to, to kind of, you know, so she wouldn't be disgraced as bad. People would know about it. They obviously know she's pregnant. 
But really, he would carry a lot of that disgrace for himself. He was willing in his reason, in his mind, to carry the disgrace so that she didn't have to as bad. That, that he, he messed up, that he, he's deciding to, to break this off, and he would do that. He would lose his deposit. He was willing to make that sacrifice. But then an angel showed up. An angel showed up. God was speaking to him in a way in which I'm sure he had never been spoken to before. And after he had considered this, after he had thought, what's best in my mind? What's the wise thing to do in this situation? God tells him to do the hard thing, to take her home as your wife, which he knows they've created an immoral act. They, they've, they've committed an immoral act. And he knows this could mean death. This could mean thrown in the river, impaled. He's probably seen it before in the society. It, it could, could have. Joseph was willing to obey God no matter what it cost him. He, he wasn't just willing to endure a little disgrace. He was willing to, to obey God even if it cost him his life. I ran this race yesterday. Some of you have seen it on social media. I ran this really hard race, and it's really just about endurance and just survival in many ways. But we've all got a threshold. We have a pain threshold. I got this intense cramp, and I screamed out. I fell to the ground and screamed out loud like I haven't screamed out loud probably my whole life in pain. Um, we all have a threshold of pain. We all have a threshold of obedience. I'll obey you up to that. And, and for Joseph, this was, moving, I'm, this was moving to a deeper level of obedience. I'm not just going to obey you to the point that I have to lose face and lose a deposit. Lose some relationships. God, I, tr- I trust you if it costs me my life. I'll obey you regardless of what everyone else thinks. Even if this timing doesn't make sense. Even if this supernatural occurrence no one else can understand. I'm going to be obedient no matter what, no matter what it costs me. And I just wonder in our hearts today if we might need to get to a place in which we repent and say, God, I I need you to help me. I need you to help me trust you more when it's not convenient, when everyone else doesn't agree. I need you to help me live honest trust, not superficial trust, but real trust. I need you to help me get there because I feel like on my own, I, I can't do it. I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is talking with Peter, and Jesus takes Peter on a little bit of a journey, and he asks Peter, who do the crowds say I am? Jesus didn't really care what the crowd, who the crowd said, but he asked this question, and he said, they say you're Elijah. They're, you know, they say you're one of these prophets, these great prophets, a great teacher. And Jesus says, but who do you say I am? That's why I say, I believe you're the Christ. God wants to know, who, who do we say he is? Like, do we trust him at his word? Do we trust him at his word? How deeply do we trust the Lord today? I'm also reminded of the passage where Jesus says, don't fear man who can destroy the body. And a lot of us are living with a really deep fear of man that God wants to set us free from. I know, I know it's a burden. 
Always worried about what so-and-so is going to say. What are they going to think if they know about this part of my past? Like, we live constant fear of man. Jesus says, why do you fear man who can only destroy the body and you don't fear God who can destroy both the, the spirit and the body, both the, the, fl- the flesh and the spirit? We ought to fear God way more than that. We ought to have such a reverence and trust him at his word. I trust because Go back to that Ephesians 1 passage so that he can accomplish his perfect will in our life. His perfect will in our life. That our dreams and our very best day will never measure up to the incredible vision that God has for our future. And it all boils down to what we've been talking about, I feel like, all year long. A simple question is, do I believe God is for me? And do I, do I really believe that God loves me? Do, do I really believe that God is good? Because the reality is that a lot of us don't. Like we've bought into all kinds of excuses and we've limited God from doing incredible things, more than what we can think or imagine because we think we're nothing special and God can't use ordinary vessels. We make excuses about timing when, when God stands outside of time and space. Look at all the miracles. God, God messed up time. There is one place in Scripture in which it says that God made the sun stand still. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Scientifically, like everything would, God holds it all together in his perfect timing. It will not look like we want, but it'll be better than what we can dream. And so I challenge us, I bring us to this place Regardless of what your imperfect circumstances you're dealing with right now, know that God can still accomplish his perfect will in your life. Let's talk about his perfect will. Let's talk about how Joseph, it's so simple. I'm not going to belabor this. Joseph walks out God's perfect will. Even though Mary was quite ordinary, even though it wasn't the right timing, even though he's worried about what everybody else would think, I'm sure. What did Joseph do? He listened. God, he was reasoning in his own mind. He listened and he trusted God and he obeyed. Let's don't make this complicated. I think oftentimes we complicate the will of God when when you are walking in obedience, you'll never miss the will of God. It's when you disobey that we'll miss out on some of the greatest things that God had planned for us. And we'll we'll look back with, with regret and God can bring that, we can bring that to the cross and let that be washed under the blood as well. But it was an angel that came to him, a way that Joseph had probably never been spoken to before. And I just wonder in our life this week, as we turn, as we turn the calendar over from 2018 to 19 here in the next few weeks, if we just think, God, I'm open to you speaking in a way you've never spoken to me before. <laughs> I'm okay if an angel shows up, God. I'm okay if you speak through a four-year-old in the church. I'm listening. Here I am, God. I'm listening. I'm listening. And whatever you tell me, I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to walk in obedience no matter what it costs me. It's It's so simple. We make it complicated. But what an example we have of Joseph who was willing to walk it out. What an example that God's not limited by our imperfect circumstances to accomplish his perfect will.
in our life. Whatever you're battling with today, come and repent of ways in which we have not trusted God and confess that he's worthy. We're going to sing a, an old hymn together here in just a, a minute, but I want to ask you first, like, what have you been waiting for perfect ideal conditions on, perfect circumstances? Wait until you're a little more ready, waiting on some perfect timing, waiting on public approval. I just wonder what would happen if we really started listening we really started walking in trust and obeying on a daily basis. I wonder what would begin to happen. I can only imagine what God wants to birth in you. I can only imagine what God wants to birth in you as we step into 2019. I believe in these next few moments, if we'll put ourselves in this place and say, God, I'm listening. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna obey no matter what it costs me. I think, if you'll, I, I think that, that God wants to birth something in you. I think there's something that he wants to conceive in your heart, a dream from a long time ago that you haven't considered, uh, an excuse that you've been kind of letting you kind of block the way for what God wants to do. I think that God wants to conceive something in this very moment. I've said to several leaders in the past few days, as they've, um, they've said to me in this very crazy season, it's been an intense season of ministry, but an incredible season of ministry. And these, I've had a couple leaders say the same thing. I said, how are you doing? They're like, it's good. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. And they process this. And, and I've tried to, in, in such a gentle way, I, I've tried to say, I know it's a lot. It's a lot. But God's called you to a lot. And, and what this moment is about, this moment is about trusting. You can either deny the lot that God has apportioned to you, or you can receive the lot and trust his grace to be fulfilled in your life, in the lot. Because for Joseph and Mary, it was a lot. The timing was not ideal. The, the public approval wasn't there. It, it was a lot, but it didn't hold them back from obeying what God had asked them to do. There's a lot that God set aside for you today. And I think in this moment, he wants to speak to your heart and birth something fresh and anew that I believe he's going to birth in you in 2019. I just believe it. Maybe in the next two weeks, he's going to birth it in you. I don't know. But I think we've got an example here. And I, and I want to ask you to stand. And, and I just want us to repent in our hearts as we sing this old hymn here in just a minute. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Uh, I want us to repent today. First, let's repent for not trusting that God can use me and will use me. Let's repent. You can use me, God, no matter what my past has looked like. No matter how ordinary I find myself, you can use me. Let's repent of it today. I want to repent today, God, for not trusting your timing and thinking my better, mine is better. I, I, God, forgive me, God. Forgive me. God, I want to posture myself today and um, to repent, God, for, for trusting my own wisdom and, and, and living my life based on public opinion and public perception more than trusting in you. God, we posture ourselves in a place of trust and say, help us. Help us today to trust that you can and use you can and will use me. Uh, posture me today. Posture my heart, God, to trust that your timing is greater than mine and that you'll protect me when I walk in obedience. No matter what that public opinion was, God protected them. He had a plan for their life. And he accomplished his perfect will as these so-called unqualified parents in imperfect circumstances. God accomplished his perfect will.